Good morning, Soul City Church. My name is Drake. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we are going to wrap up our time in 2 Timothy. And throughout this book, there's been a, a common theme of this charge that Paul is saying to Timothy to hold fast to the faith. And this morning, we're going to be kind of zeroing in a little bit more on the idea of holding fast to truth. The, the correct way of understanding things. And in all the different facets of life, um, there's a lot of different opinions out there of the correct way to do things. And as I've stepped into the realm of parenting, I don't know if you know this, but there's some opinions, okay, about the right way to parent, I've discovered. And here's what I've come to find, okay? Anytime I'm like conversing or I'm listening to someone and they're like, hey, this is the way that you have to do it find myself kind of checking out a little bit, all right? Kind of checking out from that conversation, but here's what I have for you this morning. I have the way that you need to go about feeding your child, okay? Bold statement. Here's what the plan is, okay? The goal of this plan is that you would get to the point where you are feeding your child once a day, okay? Seems bold. Follow with me. Think about all the free time you would have right? Think about how much less money you would spend on food. Think about how busy you are and all the other things that you need to tackle in your life. Okay, but the goal doesn't stop there. I want you to imagine that this plan, the ultimate goal, would that you would have one large meal per week that you'd be feeding your child. Let's say that would happen Sunday morning at 10 a.m. As we listen to that plan, we realize that is an insufficient amount of food for a child to intake. But in the busyness of our lives, we often find that we think it's sufficient for our consumption in the Word to be far fewer than it needs to be. I I saw this study that was done in 2021 that said that 11% of American Christians read their Bible daily. They broke down the study into a bunch of different categories, and, you know, once a week, once a month, and the the largest category by far, ringing in right around 40%, was never. I felt this for myself. And this isn't meant to bring any shame, because I know that's true about this room as well. It's not meant to bring shame, because we know in Scripture that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But as I was thinking about my own journey, my own time in the Word, I began reflecting back on the last couple weeks. And how would the amount of time that I've spent in the Bible communicate its importance to me in my life? I want to throw that question out to you as well, because right here in 2 Timothy, we are running up against Paul's last words, his parting words to Timothy. And the last words caring about incredible significance. And the main driver of this section of Scripture is going to be that God's word is vital for a godly life. And I think we all understand that and know that, but we're going to see a different type of urgency in Paul's 
text today as we look at the idea that we need to stand firm in the word. That's our first point, stand firm in the word. So if you want to turn to 2 Timothy 3, starting in verse 10. It says, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Okay, so this section starts off with Paul saying, you, however, so he's contrasting with the people he was just talking about in chapter 3. He's contrasting Timothy with the godlessness in the last days. Those that their folly will be known to all, so he's going from them and he's saying, you, however, Timothy, you have followed my aim in life. You have followed my faith. You have followed my patience. You have followed my love and steadfastness. All these beautiful characteristics of someone who has persevered and following Christ over the course of their life. Someone who has seen the fruit of the Spirit become more and more a reality in their heart. Things that we love to become more true in us. But there's a, a shift in that list. Because he also says that you have followed my persecutions and my sufferings. Saying that if you followed me in those other ways, that means you have to follow me in persecution as well. And then he follows that up by saying, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. So even to kind of gather around a similar definition of what persecuted could mean, simply experiencing hostility for your faith. And there could be a variety of different ways, various amounts of degrees that you experience persecution. But for some of you, this might look like you kind of being on the outside of conversations with your family because they know where you stand on things. And so maybe they'll talk about some things when you're not there. For some of you, it might look like your coworkers dramatically shifting who they are when you're around. There's a lot of different ways that we can experience persecution. But one thing that is true is that persecution is written in the story of everyone who chooses to follow Christ here on this earth. So here's what I love about the Bible. The Bible is incredibly honest with you. Like it is going to let you know, yes, there's beauty in following Christ, but there is a cost to you. We follow a king whose life led him to emptying himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so if we are to follow him, if we were to live a godly life, there will be persecution. And so Paul is incredibly clear with Timothy on that reality, but he's also clear with him in a way that the world will never be clear with you. So let's look at verse 13 as he shows the contrasting option. It says, while evil people... 
and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So he's laying out the two different paths. He's saying you can live a godly life where there will be persecution, or you could be evil or an imposter, living life that's going from bad to worse and worse, living in a world of deception. He's trying to clearly communicate, this is what the world will never tell you. The world will offer you momentary pleasures that seem great in the moment, but will only leave you being deceived. Will only lead to the destruction of your soul as it has this snowball effect of evil that continues to get worse in your life. And I think we've all seen glimpses of the world not coming through on its promises. Whether that be for love or comfort or security or the list goes on, we've all seen that happen. But what we know to be true is that we are tempted to believe that momentary pleasure to be what it promises it it will be. And so Paul is trying to give these two clear distinctions for you to see the godly life and the way of evil and what the end for that is. And so with those clear distinctions, he's trying to say, stand firm and continue in the godly way of life. And he encourages him to do this in two different ways. So the first one is he's saying, look to the older examples in the faith. So let's look at verse 14. It says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Okay, so Paul's directing Timothy to look to the examples that he's had in the faith. If you look back to chapter 1, we see those examples as his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice, and Paul's example in his life. He's trying to direct them, direct his eyes to remember them. Like, think about their way of life. Think about those people who have stood firm in the faith. Think about those people who have been faithfully coming back to the Bible year after year, and the fruit of the Spirit has been growing more and more in them to where they are the the old people. They aren't the, the cranky old people. They're the ones that are full of life and grace. Think about how they saw that there was no greater investment to pour into you than the Word of God. When you think of those people, is that the type of life that you want to emulate? Remember those you have looked up to. Recognize that those are the ones that are standing firm with you in the truth. So he says, look to the examples in the faith, but he also says, look to the scriptures. This is in 15, starting on the back half, where it says, the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It says all scripture, every word, every verse, every chapter, every book is breathed out in the, by the authority of God. Like Drew said, it's not just the red letters that we hold to as the authority of God, but it's your entire Bible. And it also says that this phrase breathed out. Another way of saying that is that it was inspired. So God's inspirational power worked through the writers of Scripture to bring about his truth 
through the unique personalities of each writer. I've heard it said that these words aren't just words on a page, but a window. That God gave us these words to have a window into seeing more and more of who he is. That we could actually understand the reality of who he is and get a glimpse of that and continue to search for the rest of our lives. And he came so near to us that he would speak to us in such a way that would be profitable for us. So his word, it it trains us, it equips us, it challenges us to be the type of people through faith in Christ that we can walk more and more in his commandments. And John 15 says that when we walk in his commandments, it's an invitation to abide in his love. And so when you're coming to the word of God, this isn't a task that you need to check off your list. This is an invitation to know him. And I just want to say, as we look through this chapter, do you notice Paul's tone that he's carrying with Timothy? He's not kind of moping around because Paul has had to face persecution in his life. He's making that a true reality, but he's saying that that is so small in comparison to all that is gained in Christ. He even says in Romans, for I consider that the sufferings of this time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. And so he's trying to draw zero Timothy in to see that this world will offer you momentary pleasures that will only leave you being deceived, but the godly life, where there will be difficulty, where there will be persecution, brings about far greater gain. So walking through this part of this passage got me reflecting on my relationship with uh, budgeting. Um, and so here's what I would say for a lot of my life, I've kind of seen budgeting as kind of the, the enemy, you could say, right? Like, it's just a difficult thing to do. It's just going to tell me what I can't spend my money on. It's going to, if I, if I budget and I have to stick to it, there's probably going to have to be sacrifices. And so it's like, that seems difficult, all right? I don't want to do that. It seems more freeing to not be bound by a budget. But what we know is that 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 actually doesn't lead to freedom, right? It leads to worry, it leads to stress, and it sure leads to um, unwise spending habits, we could say. And so recently, I was like, okay, I want to get, kind of get my act together in the realm of budgeting. I want to kind of make a turn. You could turn a new leaf, you could say, all right? So I remembered that several years back, many years ago, I, I took Dave Ramsey's class, Financial Peace University, right? You either love it or hate it, I don't know. But I took that class, and so I was like, you know what? I want to go back and look at my notes. I want to freshen up on all the things that I learned, and I want to use those to kind of help me in this new change. And so I remember I had the box in the basement, so I went down to the storage room, I brought the box up, ready to learn. And guys, this was an incredibly humbling moment for me. I pulled out the notebook, it was still in the shrink wrap. I had never opened this thing. I found the pencil that they give you. Never sharpened. They even give you a pencil sharpener, okay? Here, here's what's true. I'm like, this, putting in time here seems difficult. That seems like a challenge. But we know that with that difficulty, actually brings about a greater freedom. 
It brings about wiser spending habits. The initial difficulty pales in comparison to the gain. And Paul is saying that the godly life will bring about difficulty. There will be persecution that we will face. But that is nothing in comparison to the glory that awaits us. So he's saying, don't be deceived by the momentary pleasures of this world. And he's giving us a call, like, don't let your Bible sit in the shrink wrap. We need to be people that are coming back to this text so that we know with all the different deceiving messages of truth that, that the world is throwing at us, we can come back to the truth that we know in the Word of God. And so the application for us is simple. Tomorrow morning, what if everyone in here started off their day by diving into the Word of God knowing that the power to change us is in the words that God breathed not in how we feel when we come to the Word. That we would have an expectation that God is going to use, us, use this Word to shape us to be more like Him. And so the call is for us to be people who stand firm to the truth that we find in the Word. And the next call is to preach the Word. Let's look back at 2 Timothy 4, verse 1. It says, I charge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So Paul is speaking to Timothy, who is a pastor over a congregation in a world that is trying to stifle the gospel moving forward, trying to stifle what the Word of God says, something that the world has continued to do throughout the course of history. And his charge to him is to preach the Word. And he says to be ready in season or out of season. He's saying, when the Bible seems convenient, preach. When the Bible seems inconvenient and difficult to say, we need to preach the word. He says to reprove, rebuke, exhort, and all these are different ways of saying that the Bible, when preached, is going to expose us. That there's sinfulness in all of us, that when we come to the Bible, we are challenged. That this is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword that's going to pierce to our heart. And so he's saying, Timothy, don't shy away from realizing that this word is going to convict your people. And then he adds on to proclaim it with complete patience and teaching. He's saying, Timothy, I want you to speak the truth in love. I want you to come alongside the people that you are pastoring and boldly proclaim the truth of God to them, knowing that is exactly what their heart needs. And so for everyone here this morning, the call is to be watchful in who you're listening to. The call is to listen to people that preach the Bible, that you would go back to your Bible to make sure that's what we are talking about here on this stage. And that when you sit under faithful teaching of the Bible over the course of months and years, it should bring about conviction in your heart. 
Because where we would say that we agree with this word, there is still selfishness in my heart. There's still pride in my heart that doesn't want to believe what the Bible says at times. And this acts as a convicting work in my own heart. So I'm saying, Timothy, preach the word knowing that it will convict your people. And then he uses the word for to explain the urgency of the world around us. And so if we look at verse 3 again, it says this, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So saying the time is coming when people will no longer want to sit under faithful and sound teaching of the Bible, but they'll have itching ears. This kind of curiosity for what else is out there. Okay, I'm feeling challenged when I sit under the teaching of the Bible. What else might be out there that might affirm these desires that I have? Because the sin in our heart does not enjoy being convicted by the Bible. And so he's saying people will leave and go searching for people that do agree with them. I heard this quote that says, men do not reject the Bible because it contradicts itself. But men reject the Bible because it contradicts them. The reality is that people reject the Bible not because it's this confusing book, but because it's really clear. And they don't agree with it. We live in a culture that says in order for you to be authentic to who you are, you need to look within yourself and see what desires you have, and then you need to be able to freely express those desires to the world, and that is how you are being true to yourself. And so if in the Bible there's something that challenges or convicts those internal desires that I have, it causes us to reject the Bible because that's not me being authentic to who I am. Only I know what's authentically me. And so it'll lead people in this text. It says that people will wander from the truth and begin pursuing after myths. They'll begin to surround themselves with people who affirm their desires. They'll sur- maybe surround themselves with people who believe, yeah, those parts of the Bible are outdated as well. Or surround themselves with people who believe, man, how could Jesus be a God of judgment? The word needs to be preached because that is the tendency of all of our hearts. Like not just the people out there in this room, in my heart, that is the tendency of my heart. I think of the line in the hymn all the time, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. How many times throughout my day do I find my heart wanting to run for other things, wanting to believe other things to be true? An example of that, in a way that I try to avoid truth and maybe surround myself with people that would more affirm than challenge, say, going back to spending habits, I want to buy something that I feel like I need in order to be content. If my heart's operating out of sin in that moment, I'm not going to want to bring that conversation up with someone that might challenge me. I'm not going to want to bring that 
conversation up with someone who might remind me of Hebrews 13.5 that says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But instead, I'll find my heart trying to surround myself with people who will affirm that in my life. And this brought about a warning, I think, for all of us, that if there are seasons in your life where you find yourself pushing back on the people who have always been an example for you in your faith, to beware that this is the tendency of our hearts. That I see my own tendency to gravitate towards the voices that will affirm what I desire. So I once heard of a psychology class where the classroom decided to do a little bit of a study on the professor. Okay, so they already did the study. They already found out the results. We don't need to try it here this morning. But what they wanted to do is that they wanted to see if they could get the professor to stand in the corner of the room by the end of the class period without telling him. So the way they did that is that they all kind of gathered together and they decided, okay, the left half of the room, you are going to be as disengaged as possible. Okay? You're going to be texting. You're going to be having side conversations. You're going to have your head down. The right side, you're just going to be eating it up, right? You're going to be listening to everything he says. You're going to be on the edge of your seat, asking questions, nodding your head, all of those things. And what they chose to do is that throughout the course of the period, every 10 minutes, there'd be another group that would drop off and drop off and drop off. So by the end of the class, it was the far side of the room that was still affirming things he was saying. And no joke, by the end of this class period, he slowly gravitated to where he was preaching, or he was, well, not preaching, he was teaching (laughs) in the corner of the classroom. He gravitated towards the people that were affirming what he was teaching. I want to say right here, the rest of this message, okay? (laughs) What Paul knows is that is the tendency in the sinful human heart, that we will gravitate towards the people that will affirm our desires. And because of that, he's saying to preach the word. Because that is what's going to bring about the convicting work that the people need to hear in order to be made more like Christ. And I'm sure for some of you, there might be a section of scripture that you don't want to sit down with right now. There might be a hard truth that maybe you've been avoiding that you don't want to bring up to someone else, that I want to invite you to sit with those parts of Scripture to see how it can work and equip you to be like Christ. And since we all, everyone in this room, has a heart that is prone to wander, the call is that we need to be people who are willing to be challenged by the Word of God being preached. And so there's three applications I want to give for us. The first, again, is to be aware of the people that you're listening to. Is the Bible being preached? One thing I love about our connection groups is that you go through the passage that we talk about so that you are diving into the Word yourself to see for yourself. Not just believing what we have to say, but you're going back to the source. Two, I realize that not everyone in here is called to some public form of preaching or teaching of the Bible. But one thing I know to be true is that everyone in this room 
is called to speak the truth in love. That we are to be proclaimers of the Bible to one another, proclaimers of truth to one another. And I think one of the scariest tendencies that tends to happen in the family of God is that we say to ourselves, they already know that truth, they don't need to hear it again. They already know the gospel, I don't need to remind them of what Jesus did. They already know that verse, I don't need to share that with them. But yet we are aware at how quickly we forget the truth And so the call for us is to be willing to speak the truth in love with one another. And the last application would be in order to interpret what we're listening to, in order to share that, the the word with other people, we have to know it for ourselves. Again, don't just intake from people who tell you about the word. Go to the word yourself and dig into the depths of it. One thing I've a phrase that I've heard about the Word of God that I love is that it is accessible to anyone. That it is as shallow for a baby to splash in that pool and it is as deep for an elephant to swim. You can continue come back, coming back to this Word and finding it profitable for you and where you're at. So we need to stand firm in the Word. We have to preach the Word and we have to fight to hold on to the word. That's our last point. So let's go to 2 Timothy 4, verse 5. It says, As for you, always be sober minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth, There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So Paul, in contrast to the people who will search for others that will affirm their own desires, he says to Timothy, just keep going. Continue in the aim of life that I exemplified for you and that you have been living. Don't settle. Don't, be, don't fall into the intoxication of this world. Don't compromise. Keep fighting to stand firm as Paul himself is at the end of his life. He says that I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Paul is saying that my life has served as a living sacrifice to Jesus. And I'm about to end my time on this earth by offering up my life as a sacrifice, as my final act here on this earth. The time of my departure has come, and here are some of his parting words. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Aren't those all words that we one day want to be able to voice? that we look back over the course of our life and these are the words that come to mind. Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have fought the honorable fight. I fought for what was worth it. I look back and there's not one moment that I wish I would have given in to sin that one time. There's not one moment where I wish that I wouldn't have sacrificed for someone else. He's saying, yes, the Christian life is hard, but it is worth it. He's saying, I have finished the race. I love even that that language is saying that the race will be done. 
He's saying that I have ran the 100-meter dash called life. I ran hard. I fought. I battled. But there's an end to this. There'll be no more trouble, no more pain, no more persecution that we will endure. He's saying, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I have held on to the word of God and what he says to be true. Yes, it is difficult, but here is what is to gain. Let's look at verse 8. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who, has, who have loved his appearing. Paul is looking to the moment where all the temporary persecutions that he has faced will fade from his mind. As he stands before King Jesus and he is donned with the crown of righteousness, an imperishable crown that displays that the perfection that Christ achieved for him, he will now walk into the full. There'll be no more battle with sin, no more fight to walk in the godly life. But for eternity, experiencing an unhindered relationship with the God that we were designed to worship. And Paul is saying, because that is what is next, because that's in store, because Christ is holding on to that crown for me, it does not matter what persecution comes next. This world cannot touch that crown. And he continues in this thought in verse 16. He says, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. So what Paul's saying here in that last line is that the Lord won't keep you from experiencing the evil of this world. But no matter what evil this world throws at you, the Lord will rescue you from that. So Paul's saying, what's the worst they can do? Kill me? That's only going to be the beginning of Christ ushering me in to his heavenly kingdom. There's nothing this world can do to take away that crown. And I know for myself, anytime I look at Paul in the scriptures, I ask myself the question, okay, where did Paul find strength like that to keep fighting with everything he was going through? And all of us kind of look at the story of Paul and we're like, okay, I'm not like Paul. I I see how much I fall short. I see how much I don't measure up. I see how much I give in to those temptations or I, I shy away from persecution. Where did Paul find the strength to fight the good fight? I actually want to walk us back through this passage one more time, highlighting a couple key things. In 3.11, he says, Which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. 4.17, But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. In verse 18, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. What Paul knew is that as he was fighting the good fight of faith, it was ultimately the strength of Christ that was allowing him to go forward doing so. 
couple weeks ago, I was out back um, pulling some weeds with my year-and-a-half-old daughter. So Zeta and I were out there pulling some weeds, and she was, I'll just be honest, she was doing a terrible job at it, um, pulling off just a couple of the top leaves, not getting any of the roots. And so I decided that I was going to help her out, right? So what I was going to do is that I, I pulled the weed completely out, and I kind of just set it on top of the grass. So it was kind of just sitting there, and what she would do in all of her excitement, she would walk up to this weed, grab it, throw it in the air, toss it on the pile. And all the confidence that she could exude, she was helping me out in that process. She was taking part in it, but it was my strength that was allowing her to do that. And so Paul is exemplifying through his life that though he was fighting the good fight, Though he was running the race, though he was trying to keep on to the faith, it was the strength of Christ that was allowing him to do so. And I can't help but think that there might be someone in this room this morning who feels like you're barely hanging on. You feel too tired from the fight. You feel like the race seems far too long. You are overwhelmed by your sin. And you ask yourself kind of the questions like, can I be a Christian the rest of my life? Can I keep fighting when I keep falling into this? And if that's you, I want to direct your eyes off of yourself. And I want to draw your eyes back to the Word of God. To a God who said He will never leave you nor forsake you to a God who said, though you are faithless, he remains faithful. To a God who said, I am with you always to the end of the age. To a God who said, surely goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. To a God who said, it is finished. To a God who said, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And here's what we see in Scripture, that Scripture is this beautiful display, not primarily of what we need to do, but what God has done for us. And we see time and time again a God who is coming along your side to help you in that fight, that you're not alone in this fight. So Paul is telling Timothy, hold on. As you look to Christ who's strengthening you along the whole way. And just like Paul said that Christ was with him, standing by him and strengthening him, so Christ is with you, who have put your faith in Christ, standing by you and strengthening you to continue to fight the good fight, to stand firm in what this word says to be true. Let's pray. Father, I am... I'm grateful that you chose to communicate to us in a way that we could understand even a glimpse of your glory. That though we are lost, this is just another evidence of you pursuing after us so that we could know you. And Jesus, as I spend time in this word, I realize even as I'm prepping this message how I I don't, appreciate your word as I should. But God, I pray that all of us coming in this morning would take our eyes off 
of our performance and we would direct our eyes to the power found in your word. A story that tells us that though we fail time and time again, though we fall short, Jesus, you stepped in on our behalf. That you stepped in our place and you, were, you lived out the perfect record that we could not live on our own. And so now we get to engage in this communion with you where you speak to us through your word and we come to you in a dependent spirit. And so God, I pray that everyone in this room would grow this week in depending more on your word. That God, we, we would not see this as something I should do, but we would see as how much am I missing out on by not diving into your word. Help us to cling to this truth. When we are prone to wander, would you draw us back, hold us fast to you. In your name we pray. Amen.